that. We're recording this. And welcome to another episode of Rich in Relationship. And this is a podcast video blog dedicated to helping couples have the most joyful and resilient relationship possible. So why are we talking today about stop taking the poison if you have a toxic spouse? Because very often when we have a toxic spouse, we also have children. And if we don't have children, well, we can just separate ourselves from the toxic spouse. But if we do have children, that means that we're probably going to have a relationship with that person for the rest of our lives. Because what are the options there? We can't kill them or we go to jail. We can't die because then there's nobody there for our children. We certainly don't want our children to pass away. So today's topic is stop taking the poison. How to stop receiving the poison that your toxic spouse is offering. And in a previous episode, we talked about 10 types of toxic spouse. So we're going to frame stop taking the poison in terms of those 10 types, which were the controller, the Debbie Downer, the liar, the perfectionist, the manipulator, the binge drinker, the crazy competitor, the abuser, and the insecure one. We're going to talk a little bit about how to not receive from each of those people. But first, Let's talk about what does it mean to receive? What does it mean to take the poison? Well, if we were eating or drinking, we would stop eating or drinking the poison. Or maybe we'd be having a food checker check our food to make sure it wasn't poisonous, but we're not. Really, what we're talking about here is conversation. We're talking about things that they do and say that are toxic to us. And what we want to identify, first of all, is what is the toxicity, number one. And number two, we need to make a decision that we're not going to receive that toxicity. We're going to stop taking it. And number three, we need to be clear about how we're going to stop taking it. So let's talk about number one. How do you identify the toxicity? I would think that based on the previous two episodes that we did, you'd want to first notice, how do you feel, right? If you're taking poison, it doesn't feel good. How do you feel in the moment? Now, I want to be clear, some poisons can be very subtle. Sometimes people can make remarks that on the surface appear to be very chipper, but the wording or the tone itself might be toxic. And so we want to notice not only how do we feel when they're saying it, but we want to notice how we feel a couple hours later. My mom uh, is English originally, and she used to say that the English have a way of delivering criticism where you don't even know that you've been criticized until about two, late, two hours later when you think about it. That's the kind of thing we're talking about here. So how do you feel? How do you feel in the moment? How do you feel a couple of hours later? Do you feel good? Do you feel exhilarated? Do you feel complimented? Do you feel uplifted? Or are you kind of wondering what they meant by that? 
Or are you just feeling straight up, down and out? That is one way to identify whether what's being delivered is poison. And it's not a matter of whether they intend to deliver the poison or not. It's about how do we feel and how do we want to feel? We want to feel good. Now, does that mean that we avoid anything that doesn't make us feel good? No, but it does mean that we're not gonna receive things that don't make us feel good if we don't see that there is a good end to it. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is maybe we get into an argument with someone or a disagreement with someone, and it might be that we don't feel good when we're in disagreement, but if the disagreement is resolved in a way that is constructive and means new possibility, then the disagreement ends up being a positive. We can see that there's a positive at the end. But if we end up with a disagreement with someone and no matter what, they're making us wrong, even if we acknowledge how they feel, even if we acknowledge their point of view and their attitude is still, I'm right and I'm gonna kill you, or I'm right and you're gonna feel bad, then we need to reconsider the disagreement. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who no matter what, have it in their mind that we, the receiver of what they're offering us, are going to feel less than in relationship to them. This is the true nature of the toxic spouse. The toxic spouse seeks to better themselves at our expense. And the question is, are we going to let them? And we do have the power to stop them, by the way. It's not like we are victims who are helpless. We are feeling like a victim, yes, but we are not helpless. We can find a way to stop receiving that toxicity. Now, as in the previous two episodes around toxic spouses, I wanna say, if the toxicity that you're receiving is physical abuse, that is something entirely different. And I beg of you to get some help. And we offered some helpline numbers in the previous two episodes. This is not about physical abuse. This is about emotional abuse, if we're gonna be completely transparent. So the first part, we have the first part covered, that is how do we identify it? It's the way it makes us feel, either in the moment or a couple of hours later when we're reflecting on it. If we feel that we've been hurt or diminished in some way, then the chances are, we've received something toxic. And if that happens repeatedly, the chances are the person on the other side is toxic. And if that person is our spouse, they are our toxic spouse. So the first part is that's how we identify it. The second part is what are the ways that we can, well, first, are we gonna make a decision to stop receiving it? And this can be scary if we're talking about our spouse. When we're talking about our spouse, if we're talking about making a decision to not receive it, that can feel like, I'm not gonna stay in this marriage anymore. And it's fully possible that that's the right and just decision, but it is not the only decision. Other decisions might be, I'm gonna stay in this marriage and I'm going to let them know that this kind of exchange isn't working for me and I'm gonna work on it with them. I'm gonna work on it with them one-to-one. -one. I'm gonna work on it with them with a third party. I'm gonna work on it with them spiritually, whatever your options are. But the deci a decision needs to be made 
about what you're going to do about the particular kind of toxicity that, you're, that you've been receiving and how you're gonna stop it. So if stopping it looks like walking away, then it's walking away. But in many cases, it's gonna look like how to first stop taking the poison without getting rid of the spouse. In other words, you don't wanna throw out the baby with the bathwater. And it's fully possible that your spouse is not conscious of it, but they might be aware enough and intelligent enough so that when you let them know that this is going on, they can process it and work with you on it. It is possible. So you make the decision. You decide you're gonna walk, you're gonna talk, you're not gonna talk and you're just gonna act. Those are three potential decisions you can make. You've made the decision. Now, what are the different ways that you can act? Well, in the case of you're gonna walk, you're gonna move to another household, that's great. That's going to reduce it. Uh, I know many people who divorce their toxic spouse. They don't do the personal work and they continue to receive toxicity from them when it comes to exchanges about the children. And so if you're going to walk, it's really important that you do more than just walk. Whether you're going to walk, whether you're going to talk about it with them or whether you're just going to make the changes, the real change is the decision that you are going to set a boundary for yourself. Boundaries are not just physical. Boundaries, really, boundaries are emotional. And we set boundaries not to change the other person. I wanna be really clear. A mistake that many people make is that we're gonna set a boundary and you're gonna change or else, right? That is not a boundary. That is an effort to manipulate, uh, to control, uh, it, it puts you at danger of becoming the crazy competitor or maybe the perfectionist or maybe the controller. It's not someone you want to be. Where you want to be when you're setting a boundary is you want to be setting a boundary that makes you feel safe. And that's a decision that I'm going to stop taking this particular poison by doing A or B or C. And typically, a or B or C is a strategy for changing the way that you communicate, either ending communication when the poison comes up, calling the communication out when it comes up, or changing the communication style from verbal to written uh, or all of the above. It could be any of these things. So you're going to set up the decision is I'm going to stop taking it and the decision is I'm going to set a boundary. So now this is super methodical. I apologize. Usually I'm very inspired when I do these things, but it's really important that we nail this. Let's go through the 10 toxic types that we've called out in the past. And there may be others that I'm missing. And you know what? If there's a category that's not in there and you want help with this, feel free to comment, text, email me, rich at richinrelationship.com. Set up a call with me through bit.ly forward slash end of the fight, all one word, E-N-D-T-H-E-F-I-G-H-T. Any of those will work. But in the meantime, we're gonna go through the 10 that we have. So we've talked about the controller. The controller is someone who's always trying to get us to do what they want. Uh, they're trying to limit the people that we see. They're trying to limit our behavior, our choices. They might do this through guilt and shame, but very often it's going to be through asking manipulative questions. Uh, I think we mentioned 
that if there were men at work, they might ask you, do you really need to work in that unit? Or maybe you need to change jobs. It could be as intense as that. The strategy for setting a boundary with the controller is first to make a decision that every time that they make a remark that feels manipulative, that we call it out by using an I statement. So an I statement might be something like this. Let's go back to the example of, I'm working with too many men and my partner's upset about it. I feel hurt when you suggest I should change jobs because I work with men. And their reaction is their reaction, but it's enough for us to just say how we feel. For the first thing we wanna do is identify what the feeling is that that brings up in us. Or maybe it's, I feel guilty for some reason. I work in a job with men that I have professional relationships with. And when you suggest to me that I shouldn't work with them, I, I oddly, I feel guilty because I'm concerned that in some way I've done something to hurt or betray you, but I haven't. So that might be a more complicated way to express it. But I statements are a very powerful way to back the, actually any of these 10 types off. Another way to do this is to be more blunt, to say, I'm not sure what your concern is, but I promise you that everything is going fine at work and thank you for your concern. That'd be a very simple way to just not receive it. Or if you can't find those words, all you need to say is, there's something about the way you're speaking to me that doesn't feel good to me. I can't receive this right now. Very simple. All right, let's talk about the Deb Debbie Downer. The Debbie Downer is a little more insidious than the controller in some way because they're, they're just always down, kind of like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Oh, I'm sure it could be better. Oh, that's dinner was good, but really I think I might get sick. You know, they might be like, that's a very extreme rendition. And I statements are gonna be less effective with them because they're so into their own negativity. And so what I'm gonna to suggest to you is that if you're in a relationship with a Debbie Downer, what you're gonna to say to them is something like, I hear you, yeah, I hear you and I feel for you. But that's not my experience. My experience is that life is good. The meal was excellent. Sorry, it was bad for you. Uh, and period. And if they dip into it some more, you say, you know what? I'm finished talking about this, right? I know how you feel about it. And this is how I feel. That's a way to not receive their Debbie Downerness. Uh, and the trick is for you, for us to always be focusing on the win. Uh, so, you know, the meal, oh, you know what? I'm sorry, you don't feel well. We can probably get you something for that. But this was a great restaurant and I'm going to come back here in the future. Or I did my best making this meal and I thought it was excellent and I'm going to make it again. You, you, you want to assert the positive future in the face of the Debbie Downer. All right, let's move on to the liar. Um, the liar is 
really insidious because they will try and convince you that what they're saying is the truth. In fact, a really good liar believes that their own lie. And so when you know that you're being lied to, what you want to say is, that's a lie. Don't do that. And you can say that, but that's going to trigger them and get a reaction out of them. The simplest thing to say is, I don't remember it that way. That's all. Or I think there's another point of view on this. I, I, I don't really want to talk about this further. Right. It's a very simple it's very, it's very simply saying to, for, your own, for your own benefit, I, I hear that there's an untruth in this and I'm not going to allow it to penetrate me. Their reaction almost doesn't matter. What's important is that you're not allowing their lying, their gaslighting into your head. And if you feel like it's entering into your head, you might even want to excuse yourself. You know, I'm not sure that's the way it happened. I need to take a time out. I'll return to this to you. I'll return to talk about this with you later or something like that. All right, the perfectionist. The perfectionist is always criticizing, nitpicking, criticizing, nitpicking, criticizing, nitpicking. And so uh, your defense besides just walking away is to say something like, you know, I know that you don't like the way I made the bed, but for me, this was a big step up. And so I'm content with progress, not perfection, right? That's your keyword with the perfectionist, progress, not perfection. And what you'll be doing when you use the, that keyword, progress, not perfection, I'm content with progress, not perfection. What you'll be doing is you'll be planting a seed for them, for their future. And if they come at you again and say, what do you mean progress, not perfection? It needs to be better than that. You can say to them, well, I'm working at it and today was better than yesterday and tomorrow will be better than today. Most likely I might slip back one day and have a day that's worse, but I'm always moving forward. And if that's, I hope, and that's good enough for me. So the important thing is to say that is good enough for me. Again, we are speaking to ourselves. We are affirming that we are making our best effort, no matter what they think or say, that's a way to not receive their negativity. Next, we have the manipulator. The manipulator is always trying to get you to do something, and it's usually something that's good for them, and nine times out of 10, not so good for you. And so always remember, when the manipulation starts, the manipulation might sound like, what are your plans for today? And instead of answering the question, just get that underneath it, there's an agenda. And so call it out and simply say, I have all kinds of plans for today. Where are you going with this? Right? This is a very simple sense. Where are you going with this? And they'll say, oh, nowhere. And say, all right, well, then I don't really need to talk about my plans right now. And that will frustrate the heck out of them. But you, unless you want to be sort of herded into a corral, that's the kind of response you're going to give them. Or an alternative would be to allow yourself to be herded and watch it play out very consciously. What are your plans for today? Oh, I plan to do a Facebook Live and then I'm going to go pick up my granddaughter and then I'm going into the city. Why? Oh, well, I have this thing that I want to do it for and I was hoping that you would help me out with it. And at that point, you'll say to them, sorry, I already have my plans. Or... Maybe you'll say to them, I can help you out if it's a win for you. I'd love to help you out with it, but look out for the part of you that's going to want to do it for them 
because you want them to like you or love you. Look out for the part of you that's going to want to do it for them because you're afraid of what they're going to think of you. Look out for the part of you that's going to want to do it for them out of some sense of guilt or shame. If you're going to do something for them, you're going to choose to do it very consciously because it's a win for you, not just them. All right. And that is the key is to always have your win win hat on with the manipulator. Some things they ask you to do or want to get you to do are a win for you. Some of them are just a lose, a loss of your time, a loss of your attention, a loss of your money. You want to be really clear that you are choosing from a place of victory for both of you, not just for them. Okay, the binge drinker. This is simple. If they're drinking, do not be in their presence. Really, really simple. If you live in the same home and they're drunk, you have to, you don't have to, I would suggest that you create a boundary with them, which is your drinking is unacceptable to me. You get too drunk. It's scary for me. If you're going to drink like that, you need to sleep someone else, sleep somewhere else. If you're not going to sleep somewhere else, I'm going to sleep somewhere else. Or perhaps you need a place where you can sleep in the house, where you can lock the door and not be party to what's going on with them. There is nothing about being around the binge drinker that's going to help you. The binge drinker, when they're drunk, are going to be a combination of controller, Debbie Downer, liar, perfectionist, manipulator, and so many more things. All of that stuff's going to be true for them. It's a really simple boundary. And the binge drinker very often is going to be narcissistic. They're very often going to be trying to get you to do things for them to see they're going to gaslight you. There's going to be all kinds of things that come out of their mouth that's going to be toxic to you. So it may be a lot more simple, simple to just tell them, if you keep drinking like this, I can't be with you. That's up to you. All right. The crazy competitor. This is somebody who needs to be uplifted all the time. They need to feel like they're winning all the time. And for whatever reason, they need to feel like they're winning at your expense. This is not that different than the perfectionist. The strategy is not that different than the perfectionist. The strategy here is to look for the win for yourself and to keep it to yourself. Do not let them know what your win is. So if you clean up the kitchen and they say, I did a much better job cleaning up the kitchen last week, just acknowledge to yourself that you did the job that you needed to do in that moment. And then that was a win for you. You don't want to, you don't want to get sucked into competing with the crazy competitor. That's what they want. They want you to get in there and compete with them all the time. And then they want to squash you, squash you, squash you. Uh, the other thing you can do is acknowledge them. They, what they crave is acknowledgement. And so uh, every time they win, you can say, congratulations. I know that's important to you. All right. So it's an important message to give yourself. It's important to them, not so much to you. And I'm trying to think if I'm missing anything there besides don't get sucked into the sucked into the competition. Notice the competitor in you. Uh, remember that the competitor likes to win at your expense. It's because they want you to feel like you lost. And that's not a win for you. <laughs> you need to feel like you win. Remember that every time somebody does better than you is something, it's because they might actually be better at that thing. And there's always something that you are the best at. 
There's always something that you do better than anyone else. There is something that you are a unique fit for, that you are uniquely good at. Okay, we're up to the abuser. The abuser is someone who is going to, usually they're going to be emotionally abusive. Uh, they're going to yell and scream and be scary. Um, they might be, uh, they might have a very sharp, sarcastic tongue. And this boundary, uh, these boundaries are going to be more of just don't hang out for this stuff. You can say to them, that's abusive and I don't receive that. I'm going to leave now. That would be a way. Another way would be to just say, I don't feel really good right now. I need to step out and take a walk. I'll talk to you in an hour. You always, if you can, want to give them a comeback time uh, as where you can reframe later on, but you do not want to hang out for the, for the abuse. A really good way to do this, if you find yourself being verbally sucked into uh, an abusive conversation with them or guilted and shamed to having a conversation with them anyway, is to fall back on a text relationship or to fall back on an email relationship, something where you can put the phone down or the device down and return to it when you feel calm. The trick here is to not feel, to be emotionally available without feeling hurt or to feel hurt without allowing it to really penetrate. It's like to notice that the hurt is that perhaps they've called out something in you that you're not proud of or happy about. But so what? That it's something you're willing to let go of and move on about. And so part of the recipe is to be house cleaning yourself. Part of the recipe is to be looking for these vulnerabilities that the abuser is going to play on. And the other half is to just not let them in and to not let their communications really impact you. In a way, the abuser will help you house clean, but you, but not in a verbal exchange. Uh, only if they, if they ping you and you go to your therapist or your coach or get on your knees and talk to God about it, whoever's helping you with this, and cleanse that out, then you'll be stronger over time. Last of all, the insecure one. Uh, and many of these personality types that we've talked about, these abusers, these toxic spouses, are insecure at the heart. But the insecure one, probably a better name for them is gonna be the needy one, all right? They just are needy all the time. Don't go away, I need you. Oh, I, I can't do this without you. This is perhaps the most insidious of all. And again, the mindset that's gonna work best is, is it really a win for you to be helping this person? And it may be that when you're in their presence, they're such an energy vampire, you feel so depleted that you might not be the right person to help them, right? Yes, they need help. Yes, they need someone there. But maybe if you're feeling poisoned and depleted in their presence, it's not you. And feel free to check out from the relationship and go recharge your own battery because we are not meant to give of ourselves endlessly until there's nothing of ourselves left. And then the insecure one or the needy one will suck you dry of energy, of love, of empathy, of compassion. There is never enough for them because the truth is the only person who can really fill their need is not you. It's within them. It has to do with their relationship with themselves and the wider reality. It, it's not about you. All right. 
So that those are the three important points in relationship to managing an abuser or a toxic spouse. Uh, first, that you recognize that there's a toxicity. Two, that you make a decision on some level to deal with it. And three, that you set the boundary so that you're no longer taking it in. And we've talked about what those three things look like in terms of the controller, the Debbie Downer, the liar, the perfectionist, the manipulator, the binge drinker, the crazy competitor, the abuser, and the insecure one or needy one. And I'm sure there's other types in there. There's combinations of these, but the basic principle is do not receive it, do not take it in, and do not feel badly that you have decided to protect yourself from their toxicity. Because it's not your job to help them, fix them, to be their victim, to show up for their particular brand of toxicity. None of that has to do with you. Be sound and secure in that. Uh, today's Tuesday, Thursday at noon, we're gonna talk. Actually, this Thursday at noon, I will not be available. So uh, we're gonna do another one of these at 9 a.m. on Thursday, and then Saturday at one. Thank you so much. And again, if you need to reach out to me, rich at richinrelationship.com, comma, <laughs> there's no comma after dot com, rich, R-I-C-H at R-I-C-H, I-N-R-E-L-A-T-I-O-N-S-H-I-P dot C-O-M dot com. <clears throat> or you can schedule a call with me, a free call to talk about this, what's going on with you and your toxic spouse, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash end the fight, E-N-D-T-H-E-F-I-G-H-T. And thank you. 